We're asking for a little respect in today's Girls on Film. Here's Liesl Tommy, the director of the Aretha Franklin biopic. Because she's so powerful. Uh, Aretha Franklin's story, her music is, you know, she is an icon for a reason. I also chat to Alex Pumphrey about respect and mental health in the film industry. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith, and this episode is an industry special in partnership with the film Respect. Jennifer Hudson stars in this remarkable biopic that celebrates singer Aretha Franklin's incredible legacy. It's now available to own on DVD for the first time. So I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast the film's director, Liesl Tommy. Do you see what she is? She's a miracle. Well, Liesl, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm uh, I'm so happy to be talking to you guys again. I really enjoyed the last time. Oh well, I learned a lot. I really, really enjoyed our last conversation, and I'm I'm eager to speak to you again because obviously when we last spoke out, Respect was coming out in cinemas. Congratulations on its success. Um, how has the journey of the film been for you since then? It's been actually quite an emotional journey. The audience's responses have been more than I could have hoped for. You know, a lot of people warned me and said, just so you know, making a biopic is a thankless job because for the most part, critics hate biopics because <laughs> they just feel like it's it's rote. And, you know, uh, many music stars have a similar story and trajectory. And also if people really love them, they are going to project all of their needs onto your film. So why is that song not in it? Why is that moment not in it? You know, so I was braced for all kinds of, you know, negative responses, honestly, just based on 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 those early conversations. Once I was making the movie, I stopped thinking about all that and I just focused on the story we wanted to tell. And the audiences do seem to have really embraced the story. Many people come up to me and say they've seen it three times, you know, in the in the last few months. Um, it really, it it gets to them um because she's so powerful uh, Aretha Franklin's story her music is it, you know it, it, she is an icon for a reason and they seem to be really getting you know what Jennifer Hudson and I were trying to do up there I'm so pleased because you know we loved it and obviously now people can watch it at home on DVD I bet there's some great extras on this one what have you got for us yes there are a few great extras I mean mostly it's listening to us yeah you know there's <laughs> there. I think that there's a, you know, there'll be a um, another step where some of the things that we, you know, that we cut out get added. But um, the extras on this current DVD is, is mostly us talking about, you know, our adoration for Aretha Franklin and, and how we put it together, you know. You're special, Ray. You have a talent they call genius. You think about what you're trying to do to me. How old is she? She's 10. But her voice is going on 30, honey. How many albums have you had? Four. 
and no hits. I need you to focus and avoid frivolous distractions. Honey, find the songs that move you. Until you do that, you ain't going nowhere. Well, we wanted to open this conversation out and talk a little bit about respect in the film industry, because this is an industry special. So what does the word respect conjure up for you and, and mean to you specifically in your working life? Well, you know, the thing that I have kind of fought for in most of my career, and that is as a theatre director and then a television director and now a film director, is to stay true to my voice. You know, there's still so few, you know, women directors. There's still so few Black directors. And, you know, and I'm an African woman, so there's even, you know, fewer of those voices on a large scale screen. And, you know, the thing that I, I learned early on is if you stay true to the female gaze, the Black female gaze, the African Black female gaze, you know, if you stay true to that, your your audiences will find you. And the more specific you are, the broader your audiences are, frankly. And in the early days, because, you know, frankly, the majority of critics are not Black, female or African. <laughs> um, and so there was always this sense of like, uh, we don't know what you're doing. We don't know what this, we don't understand these reference points. And in the early days, it was quite demoralizing because I thought to myself, why, why is it always our job to go to them? When do they open up and understand that they've got to come to us? You know, that, that they are in this moment the other. And so when are they going to engage with us and not expect us to engage with them? And part of my journey in terms of that word respect is to stop worrying about that. Because, you know, I'm, I am part of 21st century art making. I, I know that me and my gaze, it's the future. And there are hopefully going to be so many more of us. So I'll stop feeling like an outlier. And that, that word respect is really just about me trusting myself and my vision and my collaborators' visions. I'm really interested to hear you talking about critics because obviously I'm a critic and we started Girls on Film to try and shine a light on more female film critics and film critics of colour. And do you feel that um, the diversity is getting better in criticism? Are you seeing um, a, a wider range of kind of faces of the people that you're speaking to or dealing with or being interviewed by? You know, I do think that with, um, honestly, the internet and honestly people's, you know, and podcasts and, and organisations like this, it is getting better. Um, but in terms of, you know, the big mainstream voices, you know, that people kind of default go to, there's still a lot of work to be done, don't you think? Oh, completely. That's why we're here. Yeah. I completely it's not agree enough. with you. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, and it's, it, but I honestly feel like, you know, organizations like this, they are a lifesaver because they remind you know, artists that, um, that, you know, as we are pushing into the future, <laughs> um, you know, there's hope because the people that we're engaging with, uh, you know, in terms of critics are, are understanding um, that they've got to, they have got to make, make themselves seen and heard as well. This song goes out to anyone who's ever felt mistreated. Which other women specifically in the industry or groups of women do you have respect for? A film that really inspired me um, early on was a is a film called Daughters of the Dust because I had never I had never seen a movie that depicted black women with such poetry um, and you know in a kind of um, you know kind of in rural splendor 
And these are two things I love. I love, you know, cinematography that embraces the natural world. And I love, you know, cinematography that really glorifies Black skin. And Julie Dash's film, Daughters of the Dust, was something that really was seminal for me. It really inspired me. And, you know, and, and as, a, as an artist, composition and, and female-centered storytelling, you know, it, it, was beca- it became very important to me. And she was, that film and, and, and Julie um, showed me it was possible. And she's become a, a dear friend. Isn't that wonderful when you become friends with the people you admire? And I'm sure she greatly admires you. It's just a, it's a great feeling, isn't it? It's a wonderful feeling. And, you know, and also to when you meet your, you know, your heroes, you find that they're as intelligent and as kind and generous as you would hope. <laughs> that is respect, right? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. That's amazing. Yeah. I also, I mean, obviously respecting other people's rights and opinions seems to be at the heart of a number of cultural movements, such as Time's Up, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that you that you've engaged with much and that you feel strongly about? Do you feel there's still a lot of work to be done in that, particularly the bullying and harassment side? I mean, it's just intolerable when you, when you, um, and, and listen, we've all, I hate to say this, but a lot of us in the, in the business have experienced it. I certainly have, you know, I started off as an actress, a young woman actress, and I switched to, to directing just because I felt like I needed more agency, you know, over storytelling. But that's it's it's a crime to be a person that enjoys making people feel powerless um and i've experienced that feeling of powerlessness and it's you know it's it's hideous so for me i will be the first person to take up you know the believe um women platform because statistics have proven that we don't lie about these things it's a tiny, tiny percentage of, uh, you know, of women who do. And we have to be, you know, communally weed out these abusers because it's just no way to make art. And we're doing it together. It's about supporting each other, isn't it? I mean, what, as, a, as a director, how do you and the people that you work with, your team, try to create quite the opposite of what you're talking about, a really uh, warm and accepting and inclusive environment? Yeah, you know, this is this is an interesting question because I, you know, I was raised in South Africa during apartheid. I was raised by people who really did believe, you know, that we were all activists and that we all had to participate in our liberation. You know, I and I heard statements like growing up, you strike the woman, you strike the rock. Um, and community were were central to, you know, to our value system. And something that I brought with me is this idea that, you know, I am because we are, right? Ubuntu. And that is something that I have implemented even when I didn't have any power or any career into my, into my communities was just making sure that people feel seen and people feel valued and that there is a kind of democracy of value. Film sets are very hierarchical and they're, they're very militaristic in some ways, right? But that doesn't mean that you cannot treat people with respect and make sure that people are, feel valued. That is essential. We are building a small society with every rehearsal room and every set that we're in. And I take that very seriously because I didn't grow up to become a politician as my you know, parents hoped. But I, you know, I, I think that you can still create civil societies in your, your world. And also just making sure that people are spoken to with respect every day, no matter who they are is essential to set that tone. Everyone on the film set, right, has the right to be treated that way, haven't they? And and I'm sure you do that. Um, 
let's go to, back to the film respect and thinking about the atmosphere on set there and when you were working with Jennifer and all, all the cast and crew. Do you feel like um, kind of the spirit of, of Aretha and what she survived and how she triumphed kind of pervaded that and inspired people a bit? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, so Jen and I, we started working, you know, together about six, more than slightly more than six months before we even got to set. Um, and I brought my team of people that I'd worked with closely in, in theater um, to work with her on accents, on movement, on the creation of this character, because it was, it was going to take a lot of you know work and craft and preparation for her to get on set and to, to feel free, which is what I wanted for her. I didn't want her to be worrying about how does she sound or is the, you know, the voice in the right place. I wanted that to be in, completely in, in her body before she even got there. So that took a lot of, you know, prep. And she, you know, she dove into it with complete passion and diligence. But one of the things that you talked about, I, I believe in radical transparency. <laughs> and one of the things, you know, I said to her, I said, listen, this is my first feature film. It's a studio film. I'm a Black woman. All eyes are on me waiting for me to fail. That's just a given. And I, you know, and this is your first big, big lead. You're carrying this movie. We all know that you can the same way that, you know, I know that I can direct this movie without incident. But there is this thing of we are going to have to be united front. We are going to have to, you know, we can't we can't walk in there and think people are going to treat us like white dudes. It's not going to happen. You know, we talked a lot about that. And one of the things that we decided was that the only diva on the set was going to be the ghost of Aretha Franklin. And that we were going to, you know, make our days without incident and without compromise, you know. And so what that meant is that Jennifer and I spoke to the hair and makeup people, too. And I was like, this is what I need. I, can't, I cannot have my day eaten away by hours in the chair. Um, you know, all eyes are going to be on me. And we were all unified because, it, you know, my most of my HODs were people of color and they got it. They got how rare it was to have somebody like me, you know, directing a film like that. And there was not a single day when Jennifer was late to set, not one day of shooting. And she would come in and we would, we would hug and we would have a smile on our face. And at the end of the day, the same thing, hug and smile on our face, because we were so grateful that we got this opportunity to tell Aretha Franklin's story. And we, you know, we held to that the whole way through. There was just, it was just so, there was so much love and gratitude that we were the, it was a privilege to make that film. How is Aretha doing? Aretha's doing all right. Just all right. Singing is sacred, Marie. And you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect. That's amazing. I, I love that. And it, make, it makes you think about the opposite and I suppose what people would term entitlement. Um, you know, of people that are have expectations of people that are unreasonable because they have the exact opposite feeling that, you know, they're going to be the boss, whatever happens. Um, talk to me a bit more about your HODs because I'm, I'm, I love, I'm loving this, this image of everyone being really on board together and, and supportive. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, again, you have to create, you really do need to bring, you know, bring your team with you. On the best day, making a film is impossible. I don't even know how we do it. It's There's just so many variables that come into play that try to destroy your day, you know. I don't know how you all do it, quite <laughs> frankly. I'm always you know, in awe of you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually insane. I mean, trying to shoot in, you know, all of our so these exteriors in New York City in the middle of winter, bonkers, you know, and then not to mention all of the, Concert scenes, there's just so many things that can go wrong. So I, you know, I just did feel that I had to bring 
people who I have a shorthand with, whose work I, you know, I adore. And so Clint Ramos, the costume designer, he and I have been working together in the theater for about 15 years, and we definitely have a shorthand. You know, I, I have a lot of, I'm very rigorous when it comes to design because I'm passionate about um, fashion and, and architecture. Um, and so, you know, I have to have people who are not going to be driven insane, um, you know, by, by, you know, my, my need for, for things to be just so. And Clint is, a, you know, I really genuinely believe that he's gifted costume designer. I think you can see it on the screen. He's from the Philippines and he and I both kind of felt like Outsiders in the American theater, um, you know, and I think that's what bonded us, our love for the craft, but also feeling a little bit like we were outside looking in. And then Ina Mayhew, the, the production designer, who I genuinely think is, is a genius. I've worked with her a lot on, in television. Um, I met her on a Dolly Parton project I did for Netflix. We, we, we worked, uh, actually, I met her on Queen Sugar, and then we worked again together on the, on the Dolly Parton project. And she just can do anything. She has su such style. Again, we have had a shorthand. We have the same, you know, rigor. So that was, you know, really important. And then Lawrence and Stevie, are my uh, hair and makeup team, also African-American artists, you know, with a with a deep passion for portraying the beauty of black men and women, you know, with 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 specificity, you know, and and just love, and that that's what we all you know came into it with. That's wonderful. It's really great to hear that. So, what are you working on next, and will you be working with some of the same team? Well, I'm working on. I'm actually going to be in London shooting a new project for Disney Plus. So it is a prequel to Beauty and the Beast. And it takes place in, you know, 1700s France, which we're shooting in the UK for. Um, it introduces a new Black princess. It is a very exciting project and, and something that I feel is going to just, you know, really resonate with audiences. It's a musical, so it'll be action sequences and musical numbers and, you know, gorgeous set pieces and costumes. And, you know, my I, I have been working really hard to make sure that I, you know, I bring in as many um, British women HODs as possible into this project. Well, I'll look out for you around London. They're often filming around <laughs> me in central London. You never know. You might be waving at you going, oh. <laughs> um, but listen, that sounds like a great project. And will you come back on Girls on Film and tell us all about it when it's done? I most certainly will. Thank you so much Excellent. for having me. It's always such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Liesl. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> that was Liesl Tommy. My second guest in this industry special is a British woman who's working hard to improve things for the film industry. Here's Alex Pumphrey, the CEO of the film and TV charity. We love the work you do, but I wanted to start by asking, are you an Aretha Franklin fan? Um, who isn't an Aretha Franklin fan? It's hard not to be right. I mean, it's kind of, it, it's music of my, I don't know, childhood, teens, 20s. It sort of, it runs all the way through, um, my life and I'm sure most people's lives so yes absolutely. The film Respect of course shows how much Aretha had to overcome and how important mental health and well-being are whatever industry you work in. Let's start with the word respect. What does that mean to you? I mean respect is such a basic and fundamental human um, need and right I think for all of us in wherever we work and I think for every individual, whoever you are, whatever your background, um, wherever you're from, to have dignity at work is just really fundamentally important. And it's a, a value I hold very close to my heart. I think, you know, every individual should have dignity from work and dignity at work. 
Tell us more about your work from when you joined the film and TV charity to your most recent campaign. I've been with the charity for four years and we were the Cinema and Television Benevolent Fund, which was a very traditional Victorian style charity that supported a comparatively small number of people, often people in retirement from the industry. And I think, did you know, genuinely lovely work, but probably quite underpowered and wasn't really, or the, the challenge that was interesting to me is how could the charity do things that really understood and met the needs and pressures that were facing people working in the industry today. I was in an incredibly fortunate position to join the charity at a moment when there was, I think, a huge appetite for change. But I think there was a real appetite for seeing how it could dramatically increase the impact the positive impact it could have for our beneficiaries, who are the 200,000 people who work in the UK's film, television, cinema sector. That was a huge thrill for me. I mean, what luck to land in a role where you're given that mandate. You know, we don't quite know where this could go, but, you know, tell us tell us where it could go and what, what it could do. So the work, you know, sort of bring us right through to the present day. We still support the um, clients that we've supported for a very long time. That's important to us that we maintain that duty of care to people that we've supported over many years of their lives. But we've added on to that all this extra work that we're doing a lot around mental health, as you noted, launched the whole picture programme last year in the midst of a pandemic when actually physical health was paramount, but so was mental health. And I think many of us have seen that through multiple lockdowns, the mental health impacts of that. And we provide a lot of support through COVID as well, which I can I can come back to. And that mental health work is now sort of really, I think, blossoming with new anti-bullying services that we've launched, new wellbeing resources for freelancers that we've launched, and the Let's Reset campaign, which is trying to just nudge culture change in the industry, which is obviously the hardest and naughtiest things to try to do. Kind piece of the jigsaw puzzle if you like that we think is really important. Tell me more about Let's Reset. What were the priorities for you? Our philosophy about the campaign has always been to create real change in the industry. You need lots of different components that come together. There is no silver bullet solution. These are really um, problems of unacceptable behaviours and working practices are really kind of deep-rooted things that don't change overnight. And so I think there's fantastic work going on in some other areas. The BFI and BAFTA have got their principles on bullying and harassment. There's a lot of guidance there for how to create safe working environments. We provide support to individuals and we've been trying to improve the ways in which we can do that. Bectu have now got a welfare policy. The thing that we wanted to sort of add into that mix was a behaviour change campaign. And in a way, it's a bit like, you know, the, the government campaigns that we've uh, grown up with, Eat Your Five Fruit and Veg a Day. And it's informed by that same behavioural science expertise, not us, but other people that we've been able to partner with. It's trying to nudge behaviours. It's trying to destigmatise mental health, trying to talk more about behaviours and bullying behaviours in particular and reset norms around what acceptable behaviours are in the industry. Is this connected to Time's Up and Me Too in a way? Absolutely. I mean, I think what I think is sort of joyous and wonderful about what's going on now is how the aggregation of all of this activity across so many different parts of the industry has this kind of amplifying momentum building effect where we're all kind of contributing to one another's work and I hope all those things add up to the great, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. And to feel that so many of us want the same things and are pointing in the same direction and are trying hard to work together towards that shared endeavour of how we make the industry a better 
healthier, more rewarding, more sustainable place for individuals to work, I think is really exciting. So yes, absolutely riding on the wave of what started. I mean, actually, it was, it was my, I think my second week in this role was when the allegations came out about Harvey Weinstein. You know, it rightly sent shockwaves to our industry. And I think to be able to honour and build on the amazing work of remarkable women in particular in that movement is, you know, I hope we do do justice to their experiences and can begin to build positivity out of it. You're one of many people who've come on Girls on Film talking about improving the experience for everyone, whether they're watching films or making films. I see many more conversations happening about mental health than there ever were before. I think bravery on the part of individuals, much greater acceptance. And I mean, a lot of it's about kind of comfort and literacy, right? It's just, kind of, you know, whenever you go, whenever you're learning about a new area, and I've, I've had this experience myself in doing this work, I'm not a mental health expert or professional. And I've learned a lot over this work of the past two, three years, including how to talk about some really difficult subjects like suicide and self-harm. And I've tried to obviously inform myself to do that as well as I can. And I think seeing other people also doing that same sort of work and all of us trying to educate and inform ourselves, improve our understanding, be more open, receptive and create different safe spaces in which we can talk about these things, I think is all towards that goal, raising awareness and reducing stigma. I mean, stigma around mental health is really serious and it's really it's a really big problem in society at large. And it's a huge problem within our industry. And when we did our Looking Glass survey back in 2019, 52%, I may have got the number slightly wrong, people would talk to their line manager about their mental health. And I said, well, you realise that within film and television, it's 7%. And actually, when you speak to freelancers, it's 2%. But people just won't, they don't want to show weakness. They have a fear about not getting hired again, or being a troublemaker, or seeming problematic. And so there's really been this kind of veil of silence almost on the subject matter which is so damaging in the long run for the individuals but also for the industry as a whole I think. As a freelancer I can relate to that so you kind of want to appear invincible but is that productive in the long term? Alex you mentioned women and this is Girls on Film what changes have you seen that have heartened you in terms of women and women of colour? I think that's a really interesting question because honestly my instinctive reaction is I don't think we've done anything like enough yet you know, we do need to do so much more to tie together what's flowed from the Me Too movement and times and, and the work of Time's Up with what's flowed out of the BLM movement from last year to make sure that we're taking sort of really properly inter- intersectional and holistic view of some of these issues and the way that they impact people who are marginalised across multiple dimensions of their identity. I suppose I don't have a sort of particularly celebratory outlook on that question yet because I think we've I think we've only just got started with that work. Um I think there are, you know, many people of colour and women of colour, particularly within the industry, who still experience horrifically high levels of racism, sometimes interpersonal, but you know, often the structural stuff, the stuff that's kind of like really hard baked into our systems and our structures, and which is the stuff obviously that's hardest to unpick. I think, you know, I hope we all have that much more empathy, support for women in particular, support of one another and expressing that support in really inclusive ways is incredibly important. I absolutely should not speak for experiences that are not my own, but I think we've got a long way to go. Sorry, that's not a very uplifting perspective. (laughs) Yeah, I agree that we have a long way to go. Now, a lot of people you're working with, it's a case of the senior leaders pledging their support. How important is that? Yeah, I mean, one thing we're very alert to is there is a lot, as there can be with kind of 
it's topical movement style issues, a risk of, in this case, mental health washing and mental health tokenism. And this definitely is not about us putting some big fancy names up on billboards or whatever it happens to be, splashy ads, saying all the right thing, but that in no way translating down to the day-to-day lives of individuals. You know, and I have had conversations with a camera person, for example, who said, well, yeah, you know, the, the, the chief executive of my company talks a lot about mental health, but the brutal fact is they're not giving me time in my day to have a five-minute tea break. So, you know, it's all very well talking about mental health and putting support lines in place. But if you're not giving me the five minutes off that I need to make use of that support, then it is hypocrisy. So I think making sure that accountability runs through that is is really important and making sure that people can really follow through on those actions. Look, I don't think we're going to be able to do a huge amount. We've got a year of that campaign left. I mean, I'm very realistic about the length of time needed to affect these changes. I mean, a lot of our design of the program is informed by the Farmer Stevenson Review in, in 2017, which talked about mental health at work more broadly in the economy. You know, they talk about the necessity of an urgent response, but a recognition that these are changes that take a decade plus to really have effect. And so I hope we're able to provide, you know, a little bit of a spark, a little bit of a catalyst but I think it will take, you know, many more years for those for those changes to take place. And I absolutely agree with you that as an industry, we need to get much better accountability for our actions on these things. We're very good at spinning things up and feeling good about ourselves. We're not very good on the follow through. Finally, if anyone wants to know more about what you do, where should they go? So what we're trying to do more broadly with the charity is create a community of support within the industry, a really inclusive community, so that every single individual, every single one of those 200,000 people feels like they're there is somewhere that they can go when they need to. That might be because they're having a difficult time, but that might just be because they need a, a friendly listening ear, a bit of time out, a bit of a, a bit of a pointer. We would love any individual to come to our website, which is filmtvcharity.org.uk, follow us on social media if, if that's where you are, and learn a little bit more about our services. Um, as I said, we've just, we've launched some new mental health services in the last couple of months, which look great. Wellbeing advice, how to stay well in the industry, stuff that's all been informed by our partnership with mine, but it's really tailored to the industry. So hopefully feels super relevant to you. If you can, to also be able to donate to the charity at whatever level you're able to. I mean, we love it when someone comes and says, you know, it'll be a pound a month or five pounds a month. Our support and care for one another is really important. So it's really not about the big bucks for us. It's about just giving a little bit towards, um, you know, your your colleagues and your friends and, you know, perhaps yourself in the future as well that can help generate that sense of community that we're trying to achieve. Bravo for the work you do, Alex. And thank you for joining Girls on Film. That was Alex Pumphrey. This episode was in partnership with Respect, which is available on DVD now. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Cam Griff and intern Shania Pithia. I'm Anna Smith and I was joined by Liesl Tommy and Alex Pumphrey. Thank you, lovely listeners. Cheers for being with us. Have a wonderful Christmas and stay safe. Singing is sacred, And you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect.